All right. Well, one of the things that uh, I admire the most when I see it in someone is consistency. Consistency. People who just day in, day out, show up and do what they're supposed to do. I admire people whose uh, actions match their stated beliefs. You know, there is consistency in what they say and what they do. There is harmony uh, between what they say and what they do. I I admire people whose personalities are consistent. You know, when things are good in their lives or things are uh, difficult in their lives, they just remain the same. Now, we all have our bad days, but but there is a consistency, a a constancy in some people that no matter the circumstances, they just are who they are, they are how they are, and I find that very uh, admirable. They aren't sky high one day and and down in the dumps, uh, completely demoralized the next day. Come what may, they just are. They're reliable. I admire people who are consistent in fulfilling their responsibilities and obligations. Uh, You know, I have great respect for people who, even though they may not love their job, or let's say it a different way, even though they may hate their job, they get up every day, maybe really early, uh, travel sometimes 45 minutes, an hour, one way to work, uh, I travel uh, six miles, um, about nine and a half minutes, and I just think it's the most awful commute in the world. And, uh, but I remind myself occasionally, people are actually driving an hour to work today. And, um, and so then I feel guilty that I'm only driving six miles to work, but not for very long. Uh, so, all right, spent way too much time on that little... Uh, rabbit trail. Uh, but I, I admire people who, even though they may really hate their job, they, they get up early, they, they go day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, and they do what they ought to do to support their family. Uh, they, they give an honest day's work uh, to their employer. They are consistent. They are constant. Uh, I admire people who are consistent uh, in their involvement in church. They're here every single Sunday. They, they serve faithfully in ministry for years on end. You, you don't have to worry about their reliability. They're just there doing what they ought to do all the time. Admire this. As we continue our series today on taking God-inspired risk, we're going to consider the, the life of uh, the judge, prophet, priest by the name of Samuel. Uh, many of the heroes of faith that we have considered in this series or that we could have been considering in this series are people who do great things in service to God, but then they also fail really miserably. They're faithful for a while, but then they get off track, sometimes in very dramatic fashion. Their life is up and then it's down, faithful, then unfaithful, serving God, then falling away from God. And I am thankful that there are lots of examples of those kind of people listed for us in Hebrews 11 as heroes of the faith. Because most of us, at one time or another, or 10 times or another, or 20 times or another, are those kind of people. 
We, we serve faithfully for a while, but then we get off track. We fail. We're, we're, we're reliable, but then we go through a period of time when we're not so reliable. These kind of people, seeing them as examples of heroes of the faith, serve as an encouragement for us that all that God has to work with are fallen, imperfect people. And that he's really good and he's really patient at working with those kind of people. Uh, These people encourage us not to allow our failures to define us, not to allow our our screw-ups to permanently sideline us, but they encourage us to get back up and get back in the game, start afresh, start a new season of faithfulness. But even though that's an encouragement, And even though that's where many of us live, we should aspire to something better than seasons of faithfulness followed by unfaithfulness, followed by another season of faithfulness, followed by another season of unfaithfulness, and so on and so forth for our entire lives. We we should aspire to more than that. We should aspire to a lifetime of faithfulness. We should aspire to a lifetime of consistent, constant obedience to God. And one of the people in the Bible who serves as a really good example of consistency, a really good example of constancy, a really good example of faithfulness and obedience over the long haul is Samuel. Samuel is commended in the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, and it is by faith that Samuel was empowered to offer a lifetime of obedience to God. We're going to consider several parts of uh, Samuel's life as they are recorded for us in 1 Samuel. Uh, Again, the scripture references are on your outline. Uh, And as we consider the life of Samuel today, it's my hope and prayer that we would be inspired today to give ourselves to a life of consistency, that that we would give ourselves to to wanting to model, or or I'm sorry, wanting to follow the example uh, of Samuel's model of constancy, that we would be inspired to give ourselves to a lifetime of obedience to God. The book of 1 Samuel opens by sharing the story of Hannah. Uh, Many of you may be familiar with that story. Hannah was childless, but she greatly desired to have a child. And 1 Samuel records for us how she prayed to the Lord that he would grant her a child. And, And the Lord remembered her, the Bible says, and blessed her by allowing her to conceive and then eventually give birth to Samuel. She had promised God that if he would bless her with a child, she would give that child to the Lord, quote, all the days uh, of his life. And of course, uh, this is what we uh, just did uh, here a few minutes ago as we committed our children to the Lord and we prayed that it would be for all the days uh, of their life. When Samuel was born, Hannah kept her promise. And so she she gave Samuel in a lifetime commitment to service to the Lord, and he served under the priest Eli. 
Samuel grew in the house of Eli, and there came a time recorded in 1 Samuel 3 uh, when Samuel had his very first interaction with the Lord. Living with Eli, the priest, he comes to the time where he has his first interaction with the Lord. There are a couple of interesting points in uh, this first interaction he had with the Lord. First, we're told in verse 1 of Samuel 3 that in the days of this story, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions from the Lord. And we're told that when what I'm about to share with you uh, was happening, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And so 1 Samuel 3 tells us of Samuel's uh, initial interactions with God, of God reaching out to Samuel, speaking to him, an experience that Samuel had never had before. And we are to understand that it was an experience that was rare in these days that it happened. And we're told that as Eli was resting and Samuel was also resting, the Lord called out to Samuel uh, three different times. And, And each time Samuel thought that the priest Eli was calling out to him. And so he'd run into where Eli was resting and he would say, here I am, you, you called me. And each time Eli would say, I didn't call you. Go, go and lay down again. And uh, we're told that after the third time, Eli realized something. Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling Samuel. And so he told him, you go back, you, you lay down again. And if you are called again, it's going to be the Lord calling you. And you're to reply, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that leads us to our first scripture reading today, 1 Samuel three ten through 14. Here's what we find. Uh, Eli has just told Samuel, go lay down again. Uh, If you get called again, this is the Lord. So we read, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything that I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So within these verses, we witness Samuel learning to recognize the voice of God. Before this experience, Samuel did not know the Lord. But the Lord calls out to him, and he begins to learn to recognize uh, God's voice. As I already mentioned, God called out to him three times. Samuel does not recognize it as God. But Eli finally recognized what was happening, and he helped Samuel understand what's happening. And so for the very first time, Samuel communicates with God, and a lifetime of communication with God begins for Samuel. Samuel, it could be argued, was slow at recognizing God's voice. But he did learn to recognize God's voice, and then he never stopped communicating with God. He never stopped speaking to God. He never stopped listening to God. Do you remember the very first time that you sensed that the Lord was speaking to you? That that you heard the voice of God? No, it may not have been an audible voice, uh, but you remember for the first time when God was speaking 
to you. Much like Samuel, you were probably a bit uncertain about the experience. You might have even been a little skeptical that you were really receiving a message from God. For many of us, we were much like Samuel in that we needed someone to help us along. We needed someone to help us learn to recognize what it's like to hear God's voice. And so someone came into our lives and they said, here's, here's what it's like for me. Here's how I know that God is speaking to me. And so we opened ourselves up to the possibility that God might be speaking to us. And we started on a journey of learning to recognize the voice of God. Friends, it is vitally important for each and every one of us in this room who want to be obedient to God to learn to recognize his voice. It was important for Samuel, and it's just as important for every single one of us here today. And there are many things that we can do to to learn to recognize the voice of God. We, We learn to recognize God's voice through reading the Bible. We learn to recognize God's voice in prayer as we pray to God, but as we also take time to quiet ourselves and and listen, sensing if God might be uh, saying something to us. We learn to hear God's voice through what others share with us, uh, whether someone feels they have a message uh, from God for us and they tell us that, or whether they don't even tell us, but but we just hear a message from God uh, through what they say. You know, God can speak to us in many different ways. God speaks to many of us here, I believe, through music. Some of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had in believing that God was directly communicating to me uh, was through the words of a, of a song. And if you are here and you struggle to hear God's voice, to recognize that God is speaking to you, th- there are a few things that you, you might want to consider. You might want to consider, have I been reading the Bible? Maybe you haven't been uh, praying, so do those things. Uh, Maybe you haven't yet surrounded yourself with people who can tell you, this is how it worked for me. This is how I began uh, to recognize that God was speaking to me, and so do that. Uh, Get more involved in Christian community. Find some Christian friends who you can ask, what's this look like? What it look like for you? You know, it's a very subjective process. It, It was for Samuel, and it is... Uh, for us. But Samuel did learn to hear God's voice, and you can learn to recognize the voice of God. Ask around. What was it like for you, Kevin? What was it like for you, Aaron? What was it like for you, Dawn? Ask around. How did you know the first time that God was speaking to you? How do you know now? How do you sense that? And begin to desire to hear uh, the voice of God. Samuel had to be able to recognize the voice of God so that he could be obedient to the commands of God. And this is really where I want to place the emphasis of today's message on Samuel's commendable obedience to God, on his lifetime of obedience to God. Recognizing God's voice, but not just recognizing it, but then obeying the voice of the Lord. Let's be honest, many of us have learned to recognize God's voice. But then being obedient to God's voice is a completely other matter. And so we need to do both of these, and Samuel did, and it makes him a very commendable figure in the Bible. In 1 Samuel three seventeen and 18, we see Samuel's very first obedience to God. Now, you may have noticed when... 
uh, I was reading in the previous uh, passage, that God's first message, his first communication with Samuel was very interesting. As soon as Samuel acknowledges the Lord, the Lord speaks to Samuel about judgment that is coming on Eli's house. Isn't that fascinating? That that, that, that was God's uh, initial interaction, at least the initial interaction that we have recorded for us with, with Samuel. Uh, it, you have to realize this is the Eli who just helped Samuel learn to recognize the voice of God. This is the Eli who, here we go again, this is the Eli who cared uh, for Samuel. After Samuel's communication with the Lord, um, Samuel rested until morning. And then he and Eli both woke up. Eli called for Samuel to come to him. And this leads us to verses 17 and 18. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you ever so severely. If you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now, again, we really need to understand what's happening here. Samuel has been cared for by Eli for years. Samuel has been trained by Eli. Samuel has been guided in recognizing God's voice by Eli. There is little doubt that Samuel cares deeply for Eli. Samuel loves Eli. And God in his first communication with Samuel says, Eli's house is under judgment. And Eli, who loves Samuel, is asking young Samuel, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of uh, feeling Samuel was having, but I, I think we can reasonably imagine what might have been, been happening in this young man's mind, in his heart. Uh, you know, imagine the emotions that may have been present in Samuel. Uh, I can imagine that the thought of delivering this message to Eli was incredibly difficult for him. He, he, he cared. How do you deliver such a, a strong message, such a sobering message to someone that you love so much? Imagine the pain that he may have felt at even realizing that this man he loved was under the judgment of God. Imagine how difficult that was. Imagine how he might have been motivated to try to spare Eli's feelings. How much he probably just did not really want to give this message. And Samuel had a choice to make. Would he be obedient to the message that, that God had given? Or would he pull back? Would he allow other concerns, other affections, to keep him from being obedient to what God said? As we find out later, Samuel would be called on throughout his life time and time again to deliver very tough messages to people he loved, people he cared very deeply for. But here's his first test of obedience. Will he be obedient or will he shrink back? Verse 18 answers that for us. It says, so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. He passes this first test of obedience. 
You know, you may have just recently come to faith in Jesus. You're just starting on your journey with the Lord. You've known him a short time. And maybe already he has spoken something to you. He is requiring something of you. He is asking for an obedience from you that you find to be very challenging, that you find to be very difficult. My prayer today is that you would follow in the footsteps of Samuel, that you'd follow his example, and that you would offer that first obedience that God is requiring of you. As I mentioned, Samuel was going to be called throughout his life to deliver difficult messages to people he loved. And these weren't just people he loved, these were uh, powerful people. Our series is on taking God-inspired risks. And Samuel, throughout his life, was called to be obedient to God in ways that were not only difficult, but they were also risky. Now, one of those difficult and risky opportunities for obedience is found in 1 Samuel 13. King Saul, who had been anointed king by Samuel, in, in uh, kind of a, an acquiescence to the demands of the people, King Saul had attacked the Philistines, and the Philistines had assembled against Israel. So... Israel and the Philistines were preparing for battle with one another. And much as we uh, found out last week with David, which is a story that's a little in advance of this story, but uh, they were scared. Uh, Samuel had told Saul that he would come to where Saul was and that he would make an offering to the Lord there before Israel went into battle. But Samuel did not arrive in the allotted time that he had said. And so Saul did something that was very foolish. Saul offered up a burnt offering to the Lord. He did something that was only supposed to be done by the priest. It was only supposed to be done by Samuel. It was not Saul's role. He usurped for himself a role that was not his to have. And so when Samuel comes to him and finds out what he's done, Samuel says this. Keep in mind, he's saying this to the king. 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Keep in mind, Saul is... King. We learn in this action of Saul's that he is a presumptuous and an impetuous man. We learn later in the story that Saul is a jealous and volatile man. We also learn that he is a murderous man. As he later tries to kill David who had done nothing but serve him faithfully. But Samuel's obedient to deliver a hard message that the Lord has given to the king. On another occasion, Saul was supposed to completely wipe out one of the enemies of Israel, the Amalekites. Completely wipe them out. This was God's command because God knew that they were going to be a source of problem for his people for a long time. They needed to be wiped out. But Saul, instead, spared some of them, spared some of their sheep, spared some of their cattle, 
in direct disobedience to what God had instructed. And so Samuel again delivers a tough message. You find this one in 1 Samuel 15, 28 and 29. It says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors. Listen to this. To one better than you. That's telling it like it is. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Again, spoken to a king. Difficult and even risky obedience. I'm not going to take the time to read it today, but in 1 Samuel 12, 6 through 15, we find but one example of Samuel being a voice for righteousness. He, he reminded Israel of God's faithfulness and their rebellion. And he called them back to faithfulness to God. He called them back to obedience to God. And so what I want you to see here is this pattern of obedience in the life of Samuel. Samuel offered initial obedience to God. He was obedient to God even when the assignment was difficult. Even when it required saying something, something hard to somebody you care for, somebody you love. He was obedient to the assignment even when it was risky, even when it was dangerous. He was obedient to the assignment when it called him to be a voice for righteousness in the midst of sinful people. Have you ever tried to speak up for right living in the midst of people who don't want to hear it? That's tough. It's tough. He was obedient. And the fourth thing that I want us to see is that he offered consistent obedience. It was consistent. Look at 1 Samuel 12, 2. This is within Samuel's farewell speech as he is yielding leadership to King Saul. He says, now you have a king as your leader. As for me... I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Now, now time doesn't permit us to go over all of the examples of obedience in the life of Samuel. Uh, but, but what we need to understand here today is that, that Samuel offered consistent obedience to God. We've looked at a couple of examples, but there are many more. Uh, let me just give a few more examples. When the Lord selected David to replace Saul as king... And and asked Samuel to go and anoint David the king while Saul was still king. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 that Samuel did what the Lord said. I mean, mean, think about that. This is one of those things. I say this a lot because there, there are a lot of times when we do this. This is one of those things that we just read over in the scriptures and we don't stop to really think about it. Saul is still king. But God says, Samuel, I want you to go ahead and anoint David king. And Samuel obeys. God wanted the Amalekites completely wiped out. Saul failed to obey. But Samuel fulfilled the command of the Lord. Over and over. Here's how it worked. God said, Samuel obeyed. God said something else, Samuel obeyed. God said something difficult, Samuel said, okay, I'll do that. God said, do this risky thing, Samuel says, okay, I'll do that. Over and over, God said, and Samuel obeyed, Samuel offered 
consistent, constant obedience to the Lord. Initial obedience, difficult and risky obedience, a voice for righteousness, consistent obedience. This is how Samuel walked with the Lord. His faithfulness, his obedience makes him without debate, one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history and one of the most commendable biblical figures. And yet, even with Samuel, we find that God does not have perfect people to work with. Samuel was faithful, but he was not perfect. Here's what first, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, First Samuel 8, 1 through 3 says. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, I personally, you, you can have a different... A different opinion, but I, I personally am not convinced we have enough evidence to, dis, to determine that Samuel was a bad father. Uh, many have concluded this, uh, but I'm not sure there is enough evidence for us to come to that determination. You know, many parents have loved the Lord, have served the Lord faithfully, have done their absolute best to raise their children to love the Lord, and yet their children walk away from the Lord. So I think we are far too quick to lay wayward children the blame for that at the feet of parents. And I think we are far too quick to do that with Samuel. But what I think is fairly clear to determine from what we know of this story is that Samuel should have known better than to appoint his children as judges over Israel. They weren't up to the task. They did not have the moral character uh, to do so. And his failure in this area led to people being taken advantage of. It led to injustice being done. Samuel was a faithful man. He was not a perfect man. God doesn't have any of those but Jesus. There aren't any of those but Jesus. But Samuel was faithful. He was faithful. Look with me at 1 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 5. We're going back again to this being part of Samuel's farewell address. And here's what it says. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me, and I have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. 
Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. This is an impressive thing that we've just read. Samuel is standing before the people of Israel. He is turning leadership over to Saul. He notes that he has led Israel from youth to old age, and then he puts this question to them. Whom have I cheated? He stands in front of a nation, puts his life out to be examined, and invites them to step forward, tell him how he's wronged them, and he's going to make it right. And not a single person steps forward. Not a single person levels a charge against him. Instead, what they do is they affirm that Samuel never wronged them. A lifetime of obedience. A lifetime of fair dealing. A lifetime of leading well. A lifetime of faithfulness to God, of obedience to God. A faithful consistent leadership of the people of Israel. He's standing in old age, opening himself up to the examination of an entire nation, and it's affirmed by all that he served them well for his whole life. Samuel is an example of the kind of obedience that we each are called to offer God. Obedience when it is difficult. Obedience when it is risky. We've talked about a number of these examples throughout these series. Sharing our faith can be risky. Lovingly challenging a friend who's involved in sin is, is risky. Asking your employer if you can start a, a Bible study at lunch can be risky. Inviting a friend to church can feel risky. Serving in a ministry can feel risky. Going on a missions trip can be risky. There, there are so many things that God calls us to that are, that are risky, but we're to, to follow this example of Samuel and be obedient when it's risky. We're to give obedience that is consistent. We are to give obedience to God that is for a lifetime. This is the kind of obedience that God asked for. And this is the kind of obedience that God deserves from us. It's the kind of obedience that we should aspire to give to God and that we should never be satisfied with anything less than this kind of obedience. So I just have a few questions for you today. What obedience are you withholding from God? Follow Samuel's example today. And begin giving God the obedience he's asking of you in that area. Samuel was able in his old age to look back over the decades of his life. And even place his life in front of public scrutiny. And have it confirmed that he had lived a faithful and obedient life. Now here's a question. An important question. That all of us should frequently ask ourselves. Here it is. When I am old, 
There's a joke hanging here. (laughs) But when I am old and I look back over my life, what do I want to see? When I am old and I look back over my life, what do I want to see? In fact, I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, if you would. Just close your eyes. Now, imagine that you are old. And this won't be hard for some of you. There's the joke. There's the joke. All right. Imagine that you are old. Imagine that you know your remaining time on earth is very short. Imagine that you are alone. It is just you and God. And you're looking back over the decades of your life. In that moment, as your history plays like a movie in your mind's eye, what do you want to see? What do you want to see? Do you want to see yourself shrinking back from obedience to God because you thought it was too difficult? That actually might be what you're seeing right now as this movie's playing. But is that what you want to see when you're old and you're looking back over the decades of your life? Do you want to see yourself refusing to obey God because you thought it was too risky? There was somebody he wanted you to reach out to. There was a ministry he wanted you to start. There was something that you knew he called you to do, but you never did it because you were afraid. That might be what you're seeing right now. But when you're old and you're looking back at your whole life, is that what you want to see? Do you want to see yourself refusing to obey God because there was something that you valued more than Him, something that you desired more than Him? Money, pleasure, sex, convenience. That might be what you're seeing right now. But when you're old and you look back over your whole life, is that the movie that you want to be playing in your mind's eye? Do you want to see all the times you've wronged another person for your own personal gain? Or do you want to be able to look back over your life and see a decades-long track record of obedience? Do you want to be able, in old age, to look back over your life, to see the movie play in your mind's eye, and to be able to feel no regret? You can look up. This is really a rhetorical list of questions because anyone thinking clearly wants to be able to get to that moment and look back over their life and have no regrets. To look back over their life and see a lifetime of obedience. But to get there, to have that experience requires obedience right now even when it's difficult, even when it's dangerous. Are you living the life that will allow you to see what you want to see when you are old? Some of you here today are. You are doing that. 
And God wants you to know today that he sees your obedience. Much of your obedience is hidden obedience. We don't see it. We, we, we see your public obedience, but he wants some of you here today to know that he sees your private obedience. And he is pleased by you. But if we're not obeying God, if we're not yielding to what he's asking of us, then friends, we are setting ourselves up for regret. But here's the great thing. We can change this. We can change it. God's mercy is new toward us every single morning. Every day that you wake up, any moment that you're willing to turn in repentance toward God, He is willing to take everything before that moment and to cast it in what the Bible calls the sea of God's forgetfulness. He'll do that if we'll just turn. Some of you don't like the movie that was just playing in your brain. You don't like it. But if you just turn to God in repentance, that movie can be cast in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Every day is a new opportunity for a new beginning with God. Every day is a new opportunity to change the history that you're going to see when you are old. You can do it by simply choosing today to obey whatever God is asking of you. Be inspired by Samuel to give God what he deserves to receive from you. A lifetime of obedience. Why don't you stand?